0: As you remain standing, you can grab your Bible, and I hope you have one nearby, and you can turn to the second book in God's Word, the book of Exodus, is where we turn to once again this morning after something like a month-long break. Uh, We left off in the middle of those stone tablets that God gave to Moses there at Mount Sinai as we come this morning to verses 8 through 11, which is the fourth commandment. And so let me read our text for us, and then pray that God would bless our Study of His Word, and then we'll begin together. So let us hear now as our covenant Lord speaks once again through His covenant Word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray once again. Father, we do ask that you would help us this morning by your Spirit. That we might know something of the immeasurable grace that is ours in Jesus Christ as you meet with us on this most blessed holy day. Father, we pray that you would give us humility, that you would give us hearts of repentance where we have broken your law. That you would lift up our faces, that you would cast our gaze upon Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, that we might find our rest in him. So help us then to hear with eagerness. Help us then to hear with urgency. Always looking forward to the eternal Sabbath rest that is ours above. For we are all dying people. Help me to preach as you say I must. With clarity and with courage. Helping us to see Jesus Christ. As a dying preacher unto dying people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite pastors of old. He used to take it as an ordinary practice on Sundays, where he would wake up extra early in order that he could have extra time for communion with God. And he was one of those pastors of old that tended to record a lot of different thoughts that he would have, not just thoughts, but experiences in a diary and journal. And so one Sunday, he woke up, and he recorded three phrases in his journal for that day, Uh, three phrases that I have long remembered, that I found great comfort in, but also great conviction in. He simply said this, Sabbath rose early to meet him whom my soul loves. Who would not rise early to meet with such company? I wouldn't surprise you then, given that kind of perspective, that later on in his pastoral career, he wrote a best-selling book. It actually was really more of a best-selling booklet. And it was simply titled, I Love the Lord's Day. We come this morning, don't we, to the fourth commandment. And I wonder what your experience is related to the fourth commandment. Uh, You might know how for the vast majority of church history, uh, we've seen this as the day of days. That's why old theologians would use language like calling it, quote, the bond of all religion, the Lord's Day. Yet in our time, certainly in recent decades, it's all but evaporated from the scene of Christian experience with some people saying, quote, this is the commandment that Christians love to hate. And so as we come to the fourth commandment this morning, we come to a commandment that's often difficult. It's one that provides no small amount of fodder for debate, for discussion, even for potential division. For all I know, you could come into a sermon, a study of the fourth commandment with a degree of wariness. What all is he going to tell me I'm not allowed to do on Sunday? Or what is he telling me I must do on Sunday? Or you could come with not wariness, but earnestness. I sure hope he tells them what they're not supposed to do on Sunday. <laughs> or them what they're supposed to do on Sunday. Well, I want you to know that I have a much simpler desire this morning. Rightly or wrongly, it is altogether basic. I don't want to answer those questions, which I know will be in your minds. and want to touch on variously throughout the study today. But it is much more basic. I want to move you. Some of you, that may be an enormous movement. Well, those of you only a few steps from seeing this day as a burden, to seeing it as a blessing, from drudgery to delight. Kids, from thinking about the Lord's Day as a funeral day for your soul, but rather one of festive feasting, about meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a command that really at its core calls us to live in dependence upon God. It's been a few weeks, hasn't it, since we were last on these stone tablets. Students, you might recall how the first three commandments, even the fourth, are all about the subject of worship, really. The first commandment tells us who to worship. The second and third commandments tell us how to worship. And now the fourth commandment tells us when to worship. And in centuries past, certainly in our Presbyterian tradition, when you came to the fourth commandment, you would get... A number of sermons on these three verses. And normally those sermons basically had three different shapes. Now what I'm going to do this morning is give you three sermons and one sermon. So the simple way that we're going to walk through it is, one, the Sabbath in Israel, two, the Sabbath in the church, and three, the Sabbath in you. There's of course only so far we're going to be able to get into all of those things. But I want you to see from the text how it is telling us truth about the Sabbath in Israel. The Bible does have truth about the Sabbath in the church. And it does have truth about the Sabbath and you. So the Sabbath in Israel begins in verse 8 when we see the what of the fourth word to God's people. Notice what we're told again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. A Sabbath in the original simply just comes from the verb to cease. You could truly... Uh, Translate verse 8 is saying something like, Remember the stop working day to keep it holy. And it's important that you see that first imperative there in the first word, kids, of verse 8. Remember. This isn't a commandment that God is now giving to God's people his chosen covenant heritage, there for the first time out of the fiery air at Mount Sinai. Uh, They they've heard of this before. You only have to go four chapters back in Exodus to realize they've heard of this before. You might remember in Exodus chapter 16, God is giving manna, the supernatural heavenly bread to his people. And he says on the day before Saturday, so Friday, you're to gather what? Two helpings of manna. Because the next day is supposed to be a a Sabbath day for the soul. This is something that they're not learning for the first time there at Sinai. Uh, They're called, no, you're supposed to remember This day that actually stretches much further back in your experience. Certainly further back into Israel experience than many people in our time think about. And we'll return to that in a moment. But it's important then for you to know they are here at the mount named Sinai, Israel is receiving a blessing that had been taken away from them for over 400 years. Because when they were in Egypt, part of their bondage, part of their slavery, part of the hardship of Pharaoh's yoke was they got no Sabbath. Every single day making bricks eventually, making bricks without straw, never getting rest, never getting the opportunity to worship the Lord, which is why when Moses comes to Pharaoh, let my people go, he says, that they might worship me. Pharaoh has no interest in the Hebrews worshiping him. And so God is now wanting there as they're getting ready to go into the promised land to restore them and this divine blessing. That is, the Sabbath day. So that's what the fourth word is. Notice how the fourth word is to be obeyed in verse 9 and 10. God says, "...six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates." So it's the stop working day. So kids, when God is talking about remembering the Sabbath day, you remember it by resting. Stopping all your worldly employments, all your worldly interests. You don't do that on the Sabbath day, he says to Israel. It's a day that's supposed to be devoted to me. You might recognize how if you hear there from the mountain carved on these stone tablets, the command, don't work. Many people would begin to say, well, what exactly is work? Can I do this? Is that work? Well, perhaps I can do that. Maybe that's not work. I mean, what does God really mean when He says don't work? Well, this became a perpetual problem for Israel. So by the time Jesus shows up, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, they had come up with 39 different categories of work according to the Old Testament law. As they studied the Old Testament, they said are 39 different categories of work And so then when they thought about Sabbath-keeping as it related to the Fourth Commandment, in each one of those categories, they thought, what are applications of that category that causes people to break the commandment? So to give you an idea of what Jesus was dealing with when he tussled with the Pharisees over the Fourth Commandment, for example, they said you could not look into a mirror on the Sabbath because, especially if you're older, you might look into the mirror and see a gray hair, and then you'd want to pluck it out, and that was reaping which was work that was not allowed on the Sabbath. Or perhaps, ladies, you were not allowed to wear jewelry, fine ornaments on the Sabbath. because Such jewelry might be heavy, and you'd actually be bearing a burden on the Sabbath, which was labor prohibited on God's day. Or perhaps, my favorite children, the Pharisees said you could spit on the Sabbath, but you could only spit on rocks, because if you spit in the dirt, your spit mingled to make mud and mortar, which was work on the Sabbath. Be mindful of where you spit, the Pharisees said. As you can see, when Jesus shows up, He's beginning these great Sabbath wars with the Pharisees because they've genuinely lost the plot. A day that was meant to be a blessing, they had made into this burden. This yoke of delight has now become this yoke of hardship. What God has said is, and we ought to know the simple truth of it, Cease working on this day that you might give yourself to worship. Because that's what he makes clear in the rest of the Old Testament. For example, Leviticus chapter 23 tells us that the Sabbath was to be a, quote, holy convocation to the Lord. Morning and evening you gathered to worship the Lord. Public worship, family worship, private worship. You stopped working in order so you could get to worshiping. That's the simple how of the fourth word. But notice in verse 11, the why, so if that's the what and the how, what's the why of the fourth commandment? Verse 11 says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Why do you observe the Sabbath, Israel? It's because God kept the Sabbath. God didn't just keep the Sabbath, God created the Sabbath. Kids, you might remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, the very first verses, God has created the heavens and the earth in six days. And kids, do you remember what he did on the seventh day? Nothing. He rested. Not because he was exhausted. Not because he was tired. But that he might give us a pattern. That he might give us a principle. One day in seven, given to rest, that we might worship him. So it's interesting if you pay attention to secular sources in recent leadership and business theory, often talking about the value and necessity of workers getting a day off. Perhaps it's because in recent decades and generations, burnout has been a normal thing and certainly, uh, psychologically speaking, is a more present reality to many experts. But in, in recent days, I've read articles in a variety of places like the New York Times, The Economist, or... The Scientific American, even watching a TED talk, all saying, from a secular worldview, we have to have one day off in seven. And someone like me just smirks when they make the same argument, because they don't realize where it comes from, that they've been created in the image of God, the God who rested one day in seven. Lest it not surprise us, while naturally speaking, we desire one day of rest in seven. That's the why, that's the how, that's the what of the Sabbath and Israel. What about now? Secondly, the Sabbath and the church. There was a short period of time in my childhood where I have these fond memories of going to the Dallas Farmer's Market downtown. And it wasn't fond memories that were largely based on, you know, the samples we might get at the stalls of this produce and other items and goods. It was because my parents, because we were young enough at the time, they would load us up in a wagon. And in that wagon was a full box of Dunkin' Donuts on which we would snack the entire time at market day. And market day for us stone kids was a happy day. And some of you might know how in our tradition we've often referred to the Lord's Day Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. So many works calling it the market day of the soul because here's the day in which we cease to trade in the world's goods and we trade in heaven's goods. But I'm sure a room of this size there's a number of in you that might be somewhat skeptical at calling Sunday the Christian Sabbath, uh, taking the application of the fourth commandment to our worship on Sunday, our stopping of working on Sunday. Is there biblical grounds to do such things? Should we think about it in this way? Some of you, again, may not lead any, need any nudging to think about it this way. Others of you might mean a lot of shoving to think about it this way. But what I want to do, and stick with me for just this middle section, as we engage in something like a systematic biblical theology, I want to give you five ordinary objections to viewing Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. Potential answers we might give to those objections. And then we'll seek to apply it, the Sabbath, to you. So first of all is the objection about Moses the objection about Moses. Exodus 31 tells us the Sabbath, this fourth commandment, the Sabbath is the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. And isn't it true that the New Testament tells us the Mosaic Covenant has passed away with Christ's inauguration of the New Covenant, so therefore we shouldn't observe the Sabbath anymore? Well, make sure you recognize again God's timing, His rooting of the why, the rationale and the reason of the requirement in verse 11 of our text. This began well before Moses. Moses didn't initiate the Sabbath. Sure, it became the sign of that covenant. But this belongs to something far more ancient than just Moses. Number two is the objection about Jesus. Uh, didn't Jesus say that He came to fulfill the law? Uh, so therefore, that which the Sabbath pointed to, Jesus. He's come now, and now there's no reason for us to rest and worship in this way one day in seven. Well, certainly Jesus has come to fulfill the law, but his fulfilling the law doesn't remove the reality of any other of the Ten Commandments. You might think of the Sermon on the Mount when he comes to tell us, yes, you must still not murder people. But the true heart of that is anger. We'll see in just a couple weeks' time. Yes, you must still not commit adultery, but the true heart of that is impurity towards another. So the commandment remains. His fulfilling of the law, yes, is keeping it perfectly on our behalf but also freeing us to understand its true application to our lives. That's why even, you can write this down later on in his ministry, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus, when he gives this kind of eloquent teaching to his disciples about the end of all things, which includes a statement about after his ascension, what's going to be going on on his people. He says they're still going to be observing the Sabbath after he ascends to heaven. So clearly he doesn't think it's now removed by virtue of his coming. Uh, Number three is the objection about Paul. What doesn't Paul say in Romans 14 and Colossians chapter 2? That the Sabbath was a shadow of the substance to come, who is Jesus Christ. And now that substance is here, we no longer have to pay attention to the shadow, namely the Sabbath. So, hey, if you want to obey the Sabbath, that's great. If you don't, that's fine too. Just don't war with each other. Make sure you as Christians in the same church have unity and peace. Uh, And this is perhaps one of those few places in Scripture where knowing original languages really is helpful. uh, Because it's actually a plural. He's talking about Sabbaths not just the sabbath in those requisite texts especially colossians chapter 2 so it's not in view having in view here the the sabbath command as much as the sabbath principle in the old testament law some of you know that god had given many commands related to many sabbaths jubilee years sabbath seasons that was belonging to the mosaic covenant these ceremonies yes they have passed away but the day itself one day in seven Haven't passed away. Number four is the objection about silence. The objection about silence. And this has perhaps carried the most significant amount of weight in our context in the last few decades. It says, well, it's quite true that the New Testament clearly repeats nine of the Ten Commandments. Therefore, yes, they're abiding for us today. But it doesn't say anything about the Fourth Commandment. So that must now be removed from our experience and no longer is an obligation. Well, students, you want to pay attention even to that objection. Because just just write this down, stash it away, talk about it with your parents, even a a leader in the church. Proper hermeneutics. uh, Interpreting God's Word means when we come to God's Word, we're coming to an unbroken document, Jesus says. So when we look at Old Testament truth, we, we, we don't come to it as though, well, we keep it only if the New Testament repeats it. No, rather, it's we keep it until the New Testament removes it. And there's certainly truth that the New Testament has never removed the reality of a Sabbath. Hebrews 4 pointing us forward that the Sabbath rest we enjoy now is preparing us so we strive to enter this Sabbath rest. It helps us get ready for the Sabbath rest to come. You can also write down these vice lists that Paul uses throughout his letters, particularly 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. He rattles off these sins that the law exposes. And all he's done in those verses is just rattle off the sins that belong to breaking the 4th through ninth. Commandments. Well, finally, there's the objection about Sunday. Okay, so the Sabbath command, clearly to Israel, is Saturday. It's the last day of the week that they were to keep. And we believe, confessionally in our church, that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. The Lord's Day is the Sabbath that we are now to keep or cease working on and enjoy worshiping the Lord Jesus. So where do we get the rationale for that? Well, you can just... Browse through the New Testament, Acts 20, 1 Corinthians 16, Revelation chapter 1 clearly tells us the New Testament uh, understood Sunday was now the new Sabbath in the new covenant. It's not as though we have a new requirement, but we have a new day for that old requirement. Why? Well, kids, when did Jesus rise again? It was on Sunday. So we're in the Old Testament, they're looking back to the work of creation. Now, we get a double blessing of looking back to God's work at creation, God the Father's work at creation, also the Son's work in recreation. First on this day he rose again, defeating sin, Satan, and death. So it's why the Apostolic Church, and frankly the Church all the way through the majority of church history always understood Sunday as the time in which God's people were to stop working, that they might go about the work of worshiping. Lord on his day. So you can take those five objections, which are normal, think about those truths. There's other points we can make that we made along the way in recent weeks related to the Ten Commandments, that they're abiding in their moral validity to us today because of how God wrote them down, where He placed them in the Ark of the Covenant. The Spirit comes to write God's law on our hearts. Jeremiah 31 says that law is nothing other than the laws written on the stone tablets. So, kids, what the Spirit comes to do if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ, the Spirit is coming. In part to write on the tablet of your heart. Love for the Lord's day, love for His law. That's the Sabbath in the church. Now finally, the Sabbath in you, the Sabbath and you. I came home a few weeks ago, and one of our children was laying down on the couch with an iPad on his chest, and something was booming forth from the speakers. And it's clear to me it was an audio book, but I didn't know which one. And so I said, "Hey, what are you listening to?" And he said, oh, I'm just listening to Riddles in the Dark. Now, if you're not a Middle-Earth-consumed family like we are, you might not know what Middle uh, Riddles in the Dark refers to, but it's just this chapter, this well-known chapter in a well-known book called The Hobbit. And Bilbo Baggins, that titular Hobbit, he's, he's in this chapter. He's at the bottom of a goblin-infested mountain. And he's talking with this enemy creature named Gollum. And they're in something of a little war between themselves. Because Gollum wants to eat Bilbo. Bilbo wants to get out of the mountain. And only Gollum can show him the way out. So they engage in this war of wits. Where they say, okay, well, let's share riddles. Gollum, if you stump me, I'm dead meat. But Bilbo, if you stump me, I'll be your tour guide out of the mountain. And so after a couple of easily answered riddles, Gollum, who wants to eat Bilbo, children, he stumps Bilbo with this riddle. This thing... All things devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. If you know the story, Bilbo doesn't know the answer. He's grasping for it, thinking for it, when in exasperation he mistakenly cries out the correct answer. Time, time, time is what he says to Gollum. And I think for many Christians today, the fourth commandment is a riddle that seems to confuse, that seems to put us in this choppy waters of misunderstanding more than it brings us to the calm waters of, of rest in Jesus Christ. But you need to know the true heart of this commandment is this simple reality. God is sovereign over time. Your time is his time. So he gets to tell you what to do with it. Your days are his days. He gets to tell you what to do with them. And understand the steadfast love and mercy of God for what he's told you to do with his days. He hasn't put on you this yoke of Pharaoh-like burden, harshness and hardship. He said, I love you so much. I want you to take one entire day to be with me. Stop your worldly work. Stop your worldly interests. Stop your worldly leisures, And commune with me. And so you might know how then in our tradition, it's the large part, in large part, it's the reason why we've never made much of church calendars, man-made church calendars, because God's given us the divine calendar for His people. One day in seven, in which we gather to meet with Him. That we can grow in Him. So as we begin to close, let me give you three more things to think about related to the Christian Sabbath. Remembering and resting on the Lord's Day. These are things you might write down and perhaps talk about with your family this day and even in this coming week maybe with brothers or sisters in Christ. Again, just poking and prodding you to think about this day in a way that you might see it as a delight and not judgery. Number one, resting and remembering on the Lord's Day. It helps us receive from Jesus Christ. It helps us receive from Jesus Christ. If you guys back to verse 10 of our text, uh, I trust that it, it shows itself not only in the divine direction. It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's, it's a word that initially has its reference to heads of households. That they're not only to experience Sabbath rest, they're to extend Sabbath rest to these seven different categories of people there listed in verse 10. So let me speak directly to those of you that are fathers, husbands, perhaps even single mothers. What's the rhythm that you've created spiritually for your home? Have you fallen into the rhythm that dominates so much of our church culture? Where, yes, Lord, I'll give you 90 minutes on a Sunday. When God says, no, I want you all day. I want to be with you from morning till evening surrounding yourself with my ordinary means of grace. That's a day in which God summons us to come, to be with His people, isn't it? To devote ourselves to not only worship, works of necessity, of course, acts of mercy, Christian fellowship, that we might grow in grace from His everlasting storehouse that knows no end. So it helps us, remembering resting on the Lord's Day, helps us, number one, to receive from Jesus Christ. Number two, it helps us get ready for Jesus Christ. Get ready for Jesus Christ. Uh, You can't say it more basically than this. A small appetite for the Lord on His day here reveals, no doubt, a small appetite for the eternal Sabbath to come. For it's here that we get a taste of heaven on earth. And I wonder what your taste today reveals about your taste for that day. And it's important to recognize the seriousness that God appends to this commandment. So if you were to kind of work your way through the Old Testament law, we'll get there, Lord, really in a few weeks in Exodus, what you'll see is that God adds to this commandment the, the punishment of capital punishment. So if you break this commandment, you have to be executed, is what he says. You can turn to a place like Numbers chapter 15. Uh, later on this day, and you'll see actually that work itself out where a man is found working on the Sabbath and he's executed as a result. And you might think, That's altogether harsh. But from God's perspective, recognize what that means to Him. His people are working for their salvation. They refuse to trust that He can provide for them when they stop. That He is sufficient for their needs when they stop. It's reminding us in this kind of type and shadow reality that anyone who tries to work for their salvation, they will get wages. Anyone who's not content to receive and rest upon Jesus Christ, you will get wages. And those wages are death. But the good news of Jesus Christ is He says, forgiveness, freedom, rest is found if you come to me. If you stop working spiritually for God's acceptance and approval, uh, you'll find that through me because I've done the work that you cannot do. So it gets us ready for Jesus Christ. Number three, and finally, resting, remembering on the Lord's day. It helps us to rejoice in Jesus Christ. It doesn't just help us receive from Jesus Christ, get ready for Jesus Christ. It does help us rejoice in Jesus Christ. And let me say this to a Presbyterian crowd in the room. It'd be an interesting conversation we could have perhaps later on this day or later on this week. That there's no proper Presbyterian theology without a deep doctrine of God's covenant. And in the same way, there's no proper Presbyterian piety without a deep devotion to the Lord's day. Uh, certainly, we of all people in Christian history have made much of the Lord's Day. And yet, that's not always been a good thing. Because oftentimes, we of all people have made this day harsh and hard when God wants it to be holy and happy. So kids, here's the way that I want you to think about this day of unending great joy. If the Lord tarries and we're all around in a few weeks, we'll get to Easter Sunday. If the Lord tarries and we're all around a few weeks after that, we'll get to Father's Day. And I imagine if you're in a home that celebrates Easter Sunday and and Father's Day, you probably do things on that day you don't do other days in the week. There's things you don't do on that day that you would normally do other days in the week because you recognize it's a special day. And do you see God's immense love towards you that He's given you a weekly Father's Day? He's given you a weekly Easter Sunday? That's how we experience the day differently. For it's a day in which we long to hear from our Lord. Because it's on this day in a unique way that He doesn't any other day of the week. Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, He speaks His summons. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a day in which He wants us to receive from Him, to get ready for Him, to rejoice in Him. It's, of course, a day in which if we understand it fully and begin to apply it in our hearts, we might be able to grow, and that's the very same phrase that marked an old pastor So many decades back that we too might be able to say, I love the Lord's day. Why? Because I love the Lord's son, who is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would extend. Our hearts that you would enlarge our minds that love for christ would beat ever stronger in our souls that we might see this great day that you have given to us the king of days the day of days such an a wonderful gift that we might experience your grace that we might drink of the depths of your mercy that we might know you more intimately Father, we thank you for our Savior who has forgiven our failings as it relates to this commandment. We thank you for his righteousness that he gives to us by faith. Help us to walk in it this week as we work as you call us to. And also as we rest as you've required. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we want to respond to God's word. Singing together, the law of God is good and wise.